You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Okay, so vulnerability. Who likes to talk about it? <laughs> Nobody. But it's, uh, it's an important thing, I think, in what God has for us and what he wants for us, specifically in relationship with him, in relationship with each other, and since this is the faith and family class in relationship to our children. So um, let's start with just the Webster's Dictionary definition. So it is the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of attack or harm, either physically or emotionally. So an ideal cartoon. Let's discuss your vulnerabilities. Um, and that's what it is. It's the fact that like we're going to show something that we don't feel super comfortable with. That's just what it is at its core. Um, okay, so what does the Bible have to say about this? And I'm going to start with the quote that really spoke to me as I was creating this class. And then there's going to be other Bible verses throughout. And then at the end, I'm going to play some kind of YouTube video type of worldly things that we see as vulnerability in our culture. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 12.9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So this is Paul, and what he's saying is God's, and this is, I got some help from this guy online called John Gill. I read a lot of commentaries, but I don't know who this guy is. My husband may totally disagree with him. If anyone in the class disagrees, you can let me know. Um, but basically, God's sufficient grace here refers to his saving and sanctifying grace for believers, not his common grace that he extends to all people. Now, common grace is a subject in and of itself, and if you want to learn more, you can just ask my husband at a different time in a different class. Um, the strength of Christ is illustrated and shines in his perfection and glory in supporting and strengthening his people under all their weaknesses. And if they did not possess weakness in themselves, his strength would not be so manifest. So in other words, we have to be weak so Christ can be even the more strong in us. That's just the relationship that it is. And the strength of Christ was made illustrious through his weakness so that Satan was not able to make any advantage over him. He's willing to remain in the same posture and condition. So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. So vulnerability is kind of the new authenticity in our culture. Like you see these hashtags on the Instagram, vulnerability is strength, all this stuff like that. And so it's, and we can thank Brene Brown. And I, I'm not like a Brene Brown. I kind, I kind of like her, but um, but it's. I worry a little bit, and I'm going to just talk about from my view as a Christian what what I think about it, um, which again is just one woman's view. But where we see vulnerability in hashtags like vulnerability is strength, we're kind of trying to communicate vulnerability through the internet. Maybe less so for us, even though there's plenty of us that have overshared. I'm sure I've overshared at a point or two. Um, but I think this is where our kids and their relationship to vulnerability and social media is going to get really complex in a way that we didn't really have to deal with growing up in a more analog age. So um, the good about it is that it reminds us that we're not alone. So if someone's struggling with depression, if someone's hurting, and they see that someone else is hurting, even on the Internet, it's like maybe that makes them feel like they're not so alone. 
And I think that's kind of good, um, especially in the midst of the perfect life culture that we've created. The bad is that we may look for vulnerability in the wrong places, and our kids are most certainly subject to this through social media. So they may think that's the right outlet for that and the most important outlet when, when maybe it's not. And then I think the biggest risk to vulnerability becoming a strength in our culture is where, what does that do to Christ's strength? So if we need to be weak for Christ to be strong, or not that we need to be, but you know that that's the relationship in Christianity, we're weak, Christ is strong, then what happens if from a cultural standpoint vulnerability is strength? I don't know, I'm just thinking about that. So what makes us more uncomfortable than weakness. Nobody likes to talk about it. It's the worst. Christians, Americans, human in general, we go to every length to try to avoid it. And I think specifically in our culture today, and I'm going to talk about a lot of our culture, it's that easy, Kelly actually and I were talking about this last week, easy is good, hard is bad. That's kind of what our culture tells us today. That's not what the Bible says, but that's what our culture tells us. Um, I work in wealth management, so I'm pretty sure I'm the only person left reading Money Magazine, but if anybody else reads it, we can discuss offline. But they did this survey of respondents who were married with dependents, and it said 82% of them think that running out of cash is more chilling a prospect than death. So, like, most of us would rather die than to run out of money. I don't know. I'm just thinking we should, like, flesh that out a little bit. So that's just, it's uncomfortable. And we don't like to share those things. We don't like to share our weaknesses. Um, Okay. And we don't just like it. We don't like it in ourselves or in others. And I found this little funny cartoon. It says, um, well, you can read it. But the Bible says, his strength is made perfect in my weakness. So I decided to embrace and confess to you my weaknesses and struggles and questions. Someone says, time for a new pastor. So, (laughs) there's that. Um, And then the truth of this is that Christ's vulnerability has changed everything about the way that we think about vulnerability and our own weakness. So, he knows our weaknesses inside and out. First, because he faced temptation, suffering, and sin, overcoming them for us on the cross. We have a Savior who's given us eternal life and in the here and now, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. And in Christ, we have the freedom to admit and confront our weaknesses, knowing that vulnerability neither validates or breaks us. So vulnerability, it doesn't make us feel better. It doesn't give us any approval that we really want as humans. But it's not going to break us either. So to me, that's the most freeing thing, is Christ has already done all this for us. So we just can be free to be in that relationship with other people and be vulnerable or with him or with our children or not. He's going to be there regardless. So vulnerability can be a necessary step towards a deeper relationship with a friend or loved one or a crucial part of repentance, but it will always lack the saving power of Christ's vulnerability he's already won for us. So it's important, not necessary, but could be incredibly additive to your relationships with other believers and your children. So how does it play play itself out in our relationships with one another, in a marriage, with our kids? 
Just like authenticity, courage, or kindness, the ability to become vulnerable flows from our assurance in Christ, not our insurance and likes and comments on the Internet or approval that we're looking for other people. So this is something our kids or even us to some degree find validation in through the Internet or other people. So just kind of where is it placed? If you're going to be vulnerable, what are you looking for out of that if you are going to do that with other people? And to some degree, it's our standard of acceptance to the world. You put something out on the Internet. <laughs> I was with my cousins this week, and I hope she's not listening. But, um, you know, I have this, this younger cousin, and we were taking pictures, and I'm the oldest by, like, 15 years. So, you know, I conceptually look the worst. And, um, you know, so every one of them, she was so young. She's like 23. She's like, can we redo this? Can we? Oh, I'm lightening your teeth in this. Oh, I'm doing this. Oh, I'm going to take it down because I haven't gotten enough likes. And I'm like, this sounds so hard. You know, I mean, this is just really, really complex. Um, so, you know, even something, just posting your picture on the Internet, looking for likes. What is that and what's it going to do? So um, what does the Bible say? James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So that's what God wants for us. I think sometimes, I don't know, I think it's easier to just kind of not go there with people a lot of the time. But I think if we have that assurance that Christ is in it, and that it can't define us, it can't make us weaker, it can't make us stronger, it kind of brings out the, the space that we often don't enter into where we can really have this communion in our families, with your spouse, with some good friends, with your children, um, that might be really, really important. And it's important to note here that while vulnerability creates the opportunity for courage, compassion, and connection, it is not in and of itself these things. It doesn't, just like I said, it doesn't have to break us, but it can be incredibly additive. So what to do? Okay, model vulnerability in our households. And this takes, I think, first a ton of honesty with yourself, and that comes from your relationship with Christ. So this is Mary Cabell. She's our middle daughter. She's incredibly sweet and kind. Like I always tell her, I want to be just like you when I grow up. And that's true. She's the best one by far. <laughs> we might need to edit that on the internet but you know it's fine so that was your daddy that was your daddy saying that um so but the, so she doesn't i mean you can just kind of look at her wrong i'm sure you'll have a kid like this you can look at him wrong and they like kind of fall apart but for whatever reason i think it was a thursday andrew was already at work i was getting the kids ready you know three kids out the door i'm like come on guys we gotta go and she was just being disobedient and it was early in the morning, and she was being just awful, and which is a rare occasion for her. I came stomping up the stairs. I was screaming at her, spanked her. I know some people aren't spankers, but I, you know, I mean, it, it just was so mad. We all got out the door. I was like, ah, you know, and I'm in the car, and this is why I always ask the girls if something like that what is mommy supposed to do? Like, what would you do if you were the mommy? And I have to get three kids out the door. Everyone's going to be late. It's 7.50. Blah, blah, blah. And Mary Cabell, who never says a word, says, you're supposed to protect me. And it was like a knife through the heart. I mean, it was so 
hard. And she was right. And I think, but to get, take a step back to, in my family of origin, which we all bring one of those to the table, we didn't, there was no value on saying I'm sorry. So like, that was just something which, you know, raise, like, raises like fairly high performing children because the margin of error is like this. Um, and so I think growing up in a household where I'm sorry didn't mean anything, I think in my, in our new family, it means a lot to be able to say, I'm sorry, and for that to have some meaning. And so I think there were two options that could have happened in the car that day. I could have said, but you were wrong, and you weren't getting ready, and you were doing this, and kind of like putting it back on the child who's just a child. <laughs> or thankfully, what the Lord had for me that day, and I take no credit, is I was like, you are right. I am so sorry. And I think that that's all sometimes it needs to be as far as vulnerability specifically with children. It's just if you're wrong, if you're in sin, was she wrong? Absolutely. Did she need to be disciplined? 100%. Was I also wrong because I was just angry that we weren't getting on the door? Yes, I was wrong. And so I let the other two out of the car and then we went and got Starbucks, and I just encouraged her. I said, I'm so happy that you were able to say that, that like you felt the courage to say that to Mommy because you're an important voice in this family. And so I think that you have to kind of know where you're coming from, what you bring to the table, which for me is I'm sorry are really hard. I have to think about them every time because I was taught that like strength is kind of the, the best commodity. Um, and so having that honesty with yourself can be really impactful, I think, in your family. And I'm very grateful that the Lord has taught us that and that I'm sorry's really do mean something. And then how do we help our kids learn Christian vulnerability? So God gave us a roadmap in this verse. That, so I'll read the verse first and then I'll read it again. So 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is, I think, our roadmap. We teach our kids to walk in the light so that, like, nothing real good happens in the dark. It just doesn't. In families, and I think particularly in the, I don't want to say particularly in the South, I think it happens all over Western culture. Let's just not talk about this outside our family. Or we would call this growing up like an in-the-car like, we just don't talk about it right now. We'll talk about it in the car. And so there's a lot of those things that happen. And, of course, you don't want your kids, you know, I, I'll leave that to you all to edit. But, um, but I think if you're walking in the light in your family, it brings fellowship and closeness within the family unit. And then just reminding our kids that Jesus cleanses us of all our sins. So not mommy and daddy, Jesus does that for them. Okay, so the first step, too, it, for us is honesty with God, which in turn allows us to be honest with ourselves about who we are 
and we need to have a high, pretty high degree of self-awareness. Um, that's going to look different for everybody in the room, and the way that you get there is your way. But I think the encouragement to you is that God already sees them. He already sees you and all that you are. He knows you. He's known you since before you were born. He's known your kids since before they were born. It's just what he has. So let's realize on our own and where appropriate where to share with our children and vulnerability. And then I think from there, after you've kind of had that with God, that that's where I'd start, then honesty with each other. So another great verse on this is bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In addition, we should be vulnerable with each other. And this is what kids feel like when they're being vulnerable, when they're about to try to share something with their, with their friends, with you. What if they don't like it? What if mommy doesn't like what I have to say? What if my friend doesn't like what I have to say? I'm scared. That's what they're feeling. So just know that that's the point of view. If someone's coming to you in vulnerability, they're coming with a lot of that. So I guess a good sniff test if you're, if you're thinking about sharing or talking to your kids about how to be vulnerable is, are you doing it for connection and empathy or the need for approval? And I think that's kind of a pretty good cultural sniff test. Um, and so I think that this is kind of how we all feel, not just our kids, if we're about to be vulnerable. I mean, I still feel like that. Um, and then the truth is that if you've tried to be vulnerable and you've gotten poor feedback, and I'm going to give you like a really interesting worldly example of this from a show called Succession, if y'all watch it. It's terrible TV. I wouldn't recommend it. Just do what I say, not as I do. Um, so, but but it's a good it's a good moment where this um, this man comes to his adult mother, and, and he's looking for something. So we'll go there now. Let's see if he. Sorry, had it pulled up. Oh, maybe it's here. Oh yeah, okay. Hey, Mom. Mom. Uh-huh. I, I, uh, have some, some things that I'd like to, um, to talk about, to, to tell you. No more long lists of my emotional deficiencies. No, Mom. No, it's, uh, something I've done that I don't feel great about. Huh. Right. Oh dear. Do you think maybe we can talk? Sure, absolutely. Go ahead, but um, yeah. But are they quite difficult things because, yeah, a bit tired, but home truths. Right. Um, well, yeah, it's a bit difficult. Okay. Mm-mm. Well, go on. It's fine. No, I want to. Come on. It's okay. No, if you want, we can absolutely do it now, but 
know, it might be better to do it over an egg. Sure. Yeah. Oh, no, I can't get it off. There we go. So, sometimes <laughs> when we try to be vulnerable, we get a little bit of that. And, um, and of course, now I don't know how to get um, out of this screen. There we go. Um, if we've gotten that before, when we've tried to be vulnerable, it's going to be really hard for us to do it again. That's just really rough. To me, that's excruciating because he's trying and it just isn't going to happen. And this is a mother-son relationship. So if we've gotten this in the past, I think I would propose there's great joy in Christian vulnerability. This is obviously not Christian vulnerability. It's just straight-up worldly stuff. Um, And while vulnerability is born of weakness, it's not weakness because it's rooted in Christ's strength. I know I sound like a de- I'm beating it at a horse going over and over again. And then the second, I think that 2.0 of, of all of this, honesty with ourselves, honesty with each other, is empathy requires vulnerability. So empathy is probably another class. And Brene Brown is not entirely wrong. And her best, most practical, practical piece I, is here, which I'm going to show you in a minute, and then we're done with the videos. Um, but I wanted to give you these two examples because it's just what we deal with a lot in the world. And if we're dealing with it a lot in the world, what's going to happen with our kids? They're going to be dealing with more of it. So, ah, let's go back. How do I get on this bear? How do I do this? There we go. Bear video. Okay. Last one. I don't know how to make this one bigger, but hopefully... That's fine. Have y'all seen this? This is like her signet this is like her signature piece. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's a, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. (laughs) Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, I'm down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. 
at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Um, so that's where I think those can, as Christians, if we can find those areas to connect and not silver lining it, because that actually is one of her best pieces, I think, because it's, it's how we as Christians, if we're in the face of vulnerability, if we can, we should do that as much as possible, even if it's hard. Um, and God calls us to this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us as Christians to get in there with people if we possibly can. Um, apart from Christ, though, his perfect strength, empathy and vulnerability are going to feel like less. So this is good. It's not great because there's one thing missing, and it's Christ. Maybe it's not missing from all of it. But as Christians, we know that. And so just be, it's just such a gift to be able to love the Lord and to be vulnerable and to be vulnerable with other people. Um, let's see. Okay. So then Cameron and I were talking. Cameron is the one I gave him. I, he asked for some content from a few people. And don't do that unless you want to teach a class. Because then all of a sudden, here I am. never taught a class before. All right. So one thing that I was thinking about with kids, it's kind of delicate, too, with kids, how you do this. So I'm going to switch back to now that we've seen some kind of worldly examin- examples of things that we do and relating with vulnerability and empathy is I'm doing this what I thought of as like woe slow go for vulnerability with kids so it's important with your children that you don't emotionally burden them with vulnerability so like let's not make them like let's not emotionally dump on them if you have to emotionally dump on anyone which I do from time to time I would suggest first your spouse well the Lord then your spouse not your kids um, the best way is through empathy which we just saw a practical example of just being with them just be there with them and here's a little chart that I call woe slow go for having these conversations with your kids so whoa I worry all the time about paying for your college that just might be a little much for kids to take. You know, they just can't, they're not there. And if we've done it, hey, listen, I have misfired more than anybody as far as all this stuff goes. So you can talk to me about all the dumb things I've said in my life, and it's a laundry list. Um, the second is Daddy and I are fighting a lot, and I don't know what to do. That's just too much for kids if we possibly can stand it. And then slow, this is an area where it's like, I'm going to leave it up to you. When I was a teenager, I did this or that thing that was terrible. You just be careful with that one, I would say. Um, Some goes, I would say, are, I was selfish last night and didn't help Mommy clean the kitchen. Tonight I need to make that right. That's like a good example for kids, like kind of acknowledging, ugh, I misfired. Let's make that right. 
Another one was when I was in sixth grade, I worried about who I was going to sit with at lunch too. I mean, and then the big one, like, I'm so sorry. Like, how many times do I screw up with my kids? I think it's like 13 to 200,000 times a day. But just a good old I'm sorry really does go a long way if it's heartfelt. Um, and then I guess the ultimate truth, because there's just going to be varying levels depending on what kind of family you grew up in, where, where God has you, what your gifts are, you know, what all is going on. Whether you're able to be vulnerable or not, to be empathetic or not, Christ crucified is the solution for all unanswered outcomes. So I guess I wouldn't want anyone to leave this class and say, like, oh, my gosh, I can't be vulnerable and, like, I'm not good at life. No. You know, I, I think God has us in different places. And I'd say if, you, if that's a desire of your heart to pray about it, but to know and to be assured that it's not going to break you, it's not going to make you. That really it's Christ coming in his perfect strength, which is just it as it comes to vulnerability. So that's what I got. I might have ended a few minutes too soon, but does anyone have any questions? Oh, yes. Um, Fran. So our four-year-old daughter, Emma, whenever she does something wrong and I get upset and she is brought to tears, one of the first things she'll say is, do you forgive me? Mm. And I, I, I don't know what to say to her. Like, I feel like we've made light of forgiveness. Like, this is not about me being mad at her or not. And I want to be able to point it back to the Lord. And I want forgive to be a bigger, have a, a more meaning more meaning than that. So where do I start? How do I kind of reel it in? And so now we're just spanking her then forgiving her. Oh, yes. That's what I do. That's what I do, too. really vulnerable with me by saying, do you forgive me? I know there's more to it, but I just kind of want to get away from it being about whether or not I forgive her. Yeah. Well, I would love to open that one up because yeah. I don't have the answer. There's a lot more um, seasoned parents in this room than me, for sure. Or more credentialed staff. Who <laughs> 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 get paid to do this. Or even like maybe an older parent. Well, yeah. so we had, I can't even remember which one of my children it was, which tells you how to behave this weekend. Um, but... We had a conversation about forgiveness yesterday. I think it was with Ford, and he he had he had really stepped out of line. He'd said some really hurtful, ugly things, and um, he said, "But you're supposed to." And it, he was being manipulative, which I don't think Emma is being. But um, <laughs> I, I said, "Of course, I forgive you. I forgive you. Forgiveness is immediate." And if he takes it for granted that I think I'd, I, I thought about that in the moment, and I thought I'd rather him come down on that side of the fence than think he has to earn it. But I said, but my call from God is to teach you to do differently next time. And so, yes, I forgive you, but there's going to be a discipline. There's going to be consequences because that is my job. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like it in the moment, but and maybe I did it wrong, but... You know, I had, I, you know, my point to him was forgiveness does not mean that you're not still going to feel the consequence of your sin. Mm-hmm. And I'm neither a seasoned parent nor an expert in the area, but I mean, I think a great step with that too is using that as pointing it. I mean, 
explicitly pointing it to the Lord, you know, and saying, I mean, I, growing up for me, hearing my parents always tell me that they unconditionally loved me no matter what is something that was character defining and worked. Mm-hmm. And then it gave me kind of a point to understanding what unconditional love is from God and Jesus. And I think sometimes I've just said that to my oldest. In particular, I'll be like, I will always love you. There's nothing you can do that will make me not love you. I will always forgive you. And you can even just say, just like God does to us, you know. But just knowing that unconditional love tied to that helped me growing up. Yes, Andrew. Yeah, I, one of the things I love about what y'all said was that there, and you see the difference between boys and girls. For a boy, forgiveness means we can just move on as if nothing happened. I mean, I'm king of that. Like, I said I was sorry. Why are we still talking? <laughs> 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 So that's that's a, I think that's a different issue, and it sounds to me that Emma has a really good handle on what forgiveness means, because what she it sounds to me what she's really asking is, I want to know that we're all right, mm-hmm. and um, and so that's really what she's asking when it comes to forgiveness, and so it's really kind of what happens after that, and what reconciliation looks like on the trajectory trajectory of your relationship after that. Uh, Forge just hopeless. <laughs> it is it's, it's really different. So I think that I would really capitalize and, and try to reinforce that with them as much as I could, as to, that she's she's got a really good handle that in order for for us to move forward, I need forgiveness. Otherwise, there's going to be this elephant in the room, which is going to really block out any light in this relationship. And so I need it to be. Yes, Caroline. We've been struggling a lot with, and this is more with our older children. I don't know if the four-year-old would totally understand it, but it, and maybe it's kind of borderline, borderlining on the manipulativeness of like, are you, do, I, do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? And let's move on. Is you want to see the character change and the behavior mm-hmm. change too? Like, we keep kind of circling back around this, and it's something that we've we're not doing a great great job of it, but it's slowing down, and oftentimes not in the moment. But, you know, the next day or whatever that, you know, when we were talking about that and you're always forgiven and that whole spill, but we really need to begin to move from repeating this behavior over and over and not working so well and and getting them to kind of help you both come up with a plan on, I think kids, or at least my kids, our kids seem to be responding to that a little bit with, how are we going to do this differently so that this isn't the same scenario we play out? And you probably could do that with Emma, your four-year-old, if, if she's doing the same thing and it's spanking or whatever. Um, I mean, they are kids, and I'll always have to say, like, our kids are simple. Why am I expecting them to do anything different? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think as a parent, that gives me encouragement because it's exhausting to mm-hmm. just be circling around the dream over and over and over. And the example I used with Mary Cabell, like, that was, I was wrong. And, like, that that came out in, in that dialogue. A lot of times when we have that conversation, if you say, what's mommy supposed to do? You're the mommy. You tell me. What are we supposed to do here? And they're like, oh. You know? I mean, a lot of times that really does work. I mean, where you just kind of have them try to get them to go in someone else's shoes. And that's empathy. And that's empathy. And you can learn it. I mean, it's not something that you're born with. Thankfully, empathy is something that if you practice it, you can get much better. And so kind of modeling and teaching kids, okay, like, 
you're not you any like you're gonna step in my shoes and see what this is like what should we do differently and most of the time that that's been kind of a successful exercise yes how do you do that I mean, how do you how do you get children to build an emotional vocabulary that doesn't come natural to them that's certainly not engendered to them by the culture i mean i'm a grown man and i have the emotional vocabulary of a three-year-old <laughs> and i have no idea how to express it so if, if someone says how does that make you feel like hungry I'm a little bit worried about the suspension of the call. Um, that's that's like I I don't know I don't know how, so how do you I don't know do either. Yeah, are there any marriage counselors in the room? No. good thing that my mom did if I was ever having like a you know interpersonal issue with someone else it didn't matter what it was even if the person was a complete jerk my mom was always like well what could you have done differently like she always that was the first question every single time um, and it made me start thinking at a fairly young age about like what could I have done differently how could I approach this differently which I think does help in a, developing that kind of a self-awareness and Emotional vocabulary. Yes. Well, I think the next step to that older children is that once you get them to realize, you know, their feelings about this, to remember how they felt, mm-hmm. so that if they're ever in that situation where they could be nasty to somebody, mm-hmm. that they remember how bad the feeling felt. that they had and what it did to them and how it made them sad or made them feel like a loser mm-hmm. or, or whatever, and. The, remember that and so you don't treat that person the way that you would then treat it. Right. But that's just Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get them to express their emotions and then to remember their emotions. Right. And then, and then later to apply that and say we're we're at that stage. Yeah. Yeah. 
do think though that earlier, like when you start when they're like kindergarten or first or second grade, it's not so um, awkward when they're older when you really are worried about their mental space. Right. I mean, what's going on with a five-year-old is pretty trivial compared to an older person. But I, you touched on it a little bit, but I think there's a balance of why, what your motivation is for the vulnerability. Because mm-hmm. I think in this culture now, if you have two parents or that are happily married and you're heterosexual and there's no, I mean, all these things are, you want some, you want to be heard. And so you're trying to find something that's like a wow factor to be vulnerable mm. about. And so is it, is it truly that you, you want attention or is it that you really want to be vulnerable? And, um, I was touching on the good with Lauren, that good and hard have to be mutually exclusive. And the person speaking was visibly deformed from a, I guess I would just say it's straight, but I think a lot of things happen. And she shared, she was like, okay, so obviously I, I'm not beautiful in the world's eyes right now. Like my face is deformed, but like <coughs> Lauren, who looks very pretty right now and was able to do her hair and put on her makeup, she didn't leave the house today and think, I look awesome. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, and then she has the capacity of all her limbs. And this woman saying, I can't pick up my child because one of my arms doesn't work. But I bet Lauren doesn't lay her head down tonight and think, I rocked parenting today. And so everybody has vulnerabilities, and they're all the same. Some are just more extreme than others. Mm-hmm. And so letting your kids name those things and be open with you at a young age without doing it for attention is hard. And when you do it when they're so literal, I mean, I think that's kind of the magic of that, like, early stage teaching them these things. It's, like, all very black and white. Like, there's no... <laughs> attention see I mean maybe a teeny tiny bit but it's like all very literal what they're going through with friends with you you know you just don't want them to keep it all locked in right if they can't be venerable at home and they can't share what's going on at home then who are they sharing with unless they're praying about it they're just going to like make it out yes Andrew yeah, I think Kelly makes a good point um, vulnerability is not the end goal right it's not that you arrive at vulnerability and be like, what do you love about your friends? Oh, they're just so vulnerable. Like, I mean, that's something to love about them, but the, the ultimate end is is Christ-likeness, is uh, reconciliation in relationships, uh, it, it's being able to live in freedom and, and to know who you are in Jesus. And vulnerability is, is, is not so much a tactic as it is a fruit. Yeah, it's just okay. additive. So if you want to be more vulnerable, it's not like I'm going to tell everybody my deepest, darkest secret or even a few people, but it's I need to be more in touch with who Jesus is and with who I am. Mm-hmm. And that vulnerability, act, it actually propels Christians to want to be vulnerable and honest. It's kind of like when you think about marriage a little bit, like, and everyone's marriage is going to be a little bit different in the room, but like maybe you get to this point where you're just kind of on parallel paths with your marriage. It's like, will you remain married? Absolutely. Probably. Unless something terrible happens. But like, is it absolutely what God has called for you in marriage? Maybe not. Like, maybe that there's more there to enjoy. And I think that that's where I'd put vulnerability. Like, is it necessary? Can you go on without it? You can. Is it additive if you can find it in the right context within, you know, the Christian community, within your marriage, within your relationship with Christ? I think it's just a bonus that could really add. Yes. One thing I think about this a lot, and I sort of talked to Emily about this. I think I think Cameron told me this, not someone else did. That 
few years ago they did a study of like depression and anxiety and like suicidal thoughts among American teenagers and the most depressed were the top economic quintile mm -hmm. and then the second most depressed were the bottom meaning like the rich kids were more depressed than the kids who didn't know if the lights were going to be on when they got home and what what was hitting at is that and I think of you know for a church that is you know has a lot of professionals and sort of we certainly you know represent probably that top economic quintile that our kids are under pressure from like kindergarten on to perform to succeed to get into the right college to perform athletically all those things which I think means they're going to be we are even less likely to be vulnerable there's even more of like a shame factor placed on vulnerability or at least true vulnerability. right maybe fake Facebook vulnerability but not true vulnerability um, and it's just I don't know something to be aware of that like that's a burden they're probably going to care carry and the solution is is vulnerability to Jesus that he is from whence our sufficiency comes so I really worry about how a bad job I do modeling that when like I come home and I'm like stressed because I didn't do a good job at work today you know I'm sort of modeling exactly mm -hmm. for my kids not finding my identity in Christ and we really and you know upper middle class western culture we operate a lot in silos even within the Christian community like there are very few opportunities for that kind of intimacy within the Christian community like suicide is basically non-existent in Rwanda it just doesn't happen and so to think about that that like here we are all these successful by the worldly standards have everything that we could ever want plus more and like we're sad and you know I think that there's something you, know, you can't change the culture in which you live but there's just something to be said about thinking about that that you know looking for for that connectivity in a healthy way could be transformative so I'll, oh yes that bear video I don't know who the creator of that yeah context but I love that you love its content even though you think it's secular because it's really the gospel yeah. The gospel says that I see you down that deep dark hole. There is you're separated from me and you're in pain and it mm -hmm. looks really bad down there. And so instead of saying good luck with all that, right? Or instead of just throwing down the rope ladder that says now do these things and climb up to get reconciled with me, Jesus Himself comes down into that dark and turns on the lights. Yeah. So it's really the gospel, whether she meant to yeah. or not. That's what makes it so great. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's a wonderful video. Just in, you know, but, well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that encouragement. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll go, we'll move on. All right, dear Jesus, thank you for um, this time together and all this sharing in this room, Lord. And I pray that um, that my words were your words, as I mentioned at the beginning of class, Lord, and that um, these, this gospel, these verses that you've given us, Lord, to hold on to as we're thinking about vulnerability, Lord, that you make them apparent in our week and that when there are opportunities to be vulnerable with you first, with our spouse, with our children, with a friend, Lord, that you make it abundantly clear that that's what you want from us, to give, to receive that. And um, Lord, it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.